Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. Today is my great pleasure to welcome Andy Mowat to the show. Welcome, Andy. Hey, Jeremy. Great to see you. Andy is the VP of Growth Marketing and Go-to-Market Operations at CultureAmp. They help companies collect, measure, and act on employee feedback. Topic today really is going to be all about building a go-to-market team that ties together all of your various functions within your company. Before we do that, Andy, just ask you, what's your favorite sales or marketing book of all time? And maybe one or two of the key takeaways from that. Yeah, I, I absolutely love uh, a book called Traction that you can find on Amazon. It's by the founders of DuckDuckGo. It talks about kind of how they built and tested all the different demand generation models and all the different channels. Um, so I think I've seen a lot of companies that uh, can build a killer product but maybe can't sell it um, or the vice versa where you've got a great sales team. I think what these guys do is really describe like how to work through those, how to test them and how to really double down on the ones that are working the best. So um, a lot of our team thinks through how do we drive channels all the way through the sales funnel? And it was definitely an inspiring book the first time I read it. It's funny that you mentioned that book because I was going through my Kindle to figure out books that I hadn't yet read. And Traction is one of the books. So you just inspired me for the next book I'm going to start. That's awesome. That's great. We can, we can definitely trade reading lists. Cool. Well, your book ties, I think, directly into our topic. Can you explain what is somebody who is the head of growth marketing and go-to-market operations, what does that person actually do? So I effectively have two teams. The first team is that I would say is the go-to-market operations. That encompasses systems, data, strategy, and classical operations for sales, marketing, and everything that's kind of post-sale, so customer success and support. Our goal is to amplify the go-to-market motion, amplify revenue, and also efficiency, and then the customer experience. So we're basically wired into the DNA of everything go-to-market. It's secondarily, about six months ago, I picked up uh, the growth marketing side of Coltramp, which really involves all the demand gen, field marketing, paid, the search, organic, social. That's become kind of a logical extension of my prior career at Box, where I was running the marketing ops and the customer success ops, but also just the data, right? Like understanding how all the different data points work and how you optimize lead flow and, and investment and make sure that you're sending over to sales the leads that are have the highest probability of conversion. I'm curious if RevOps, well, I would assume you had a sales ops function, you had a marketing ops function, and perhaps even a customer success ops function. So many companies, right, have those separate. Can you sort of talk about the trade-offs and benefits of having that distributed model versus the, the centralized model that you were able to build? Companies always pick, whether you're more marketing-driven or more sales-driven, generally those are the, one of those hires is first for ops, and then you kind of build it out from there. You know, at CultureAmp, I think they were kind of looking for all ops to figure out. And so in terms of the pros of, um, of the consolidated model, I think it's the glue that patches all of these inherent silos together. So if you've got sales thinking kind of, we focus on everything from pipeline on or from lead on, and then you've got a separate marketing team. It's like, let's just throw things over the wall. I think what our team does is it's able to kind of bring those commonalities together and drive projects across the entire spectrum. We also look at like full funnel conversion all the way through. And I'd say, you know, the other big thing for me is intelligently doing systems, uh, not ignoring 
not implementing a system just for sales or not implementing a system just for marketing or just for CS. Um, a great example there is, you know, one of the first calls I made after running Marketing Opposite Box when I joined CultureAmp was visible for marketing attribution. But we've gotten smart enough to wire the attribution data directly in so the salespeople can see it, right? And so they start to be able to understand how many engaged contacts are there, uh, how many touch points, which touch points, where are those touch points, leverage that marketing data. We did the similar thing for content sharing where we implemented Path Factory across both sales and marketing at the same time, right? And so I think what we try to do is make sure that we're just not blind it's solving things locally rather than solving things um, holistically. Yeah. For, for an organization, which is uh, where the marketing ops function is separate from the sales ops function, what advice would you give people to actually bring those together? Either someone has to give up their team or maybe all those people have to work for somebody else, like a chief growth officer or in the finance department or what have you, what do you think is the best way forward when those functions are separate? You've got to have like enlightened leaders. Um, you know, so I have a lot of friends over at Udemy as well, too. And, you know, the head of CS, the head of sales, they saw the bigger picture and they're like, oh, we want ops holistic. So I think people are starting to get that. Um, you know, there is the flip side danger, which is ops just becomes this just like monstrous beast that slows things down. So I think a large part of what I'm focused on is how does ops become nimble? Um, you know, you don't have to throw a ton of resources at it. And how does it, how does it live the value of kind of amplify and execute? I think this is where you, you have to hire a senior level ops leader. Um, if you hire like a senior manager level sales ops person and they can't provide that executive leadership to ops, it's going to get ripped apart, right? Because the head of sales, the head of marketing is going to say, well, I know better what I need than, than this person. So I think that's also where maybe CultureAmp did it differently, right? They were willing to invest in somebody a little bit more senior. And I've seen that happen many times where if you underhire your ops person, it's naturally going to break apart. But if you hire a strong executive on the ops side and invest in op, executive ops talent too, you can really build that um, function that works as one. Well. How have you managed your, your trade-off between you know, the sort of high leverage individual contributor work and the the leadership work that you do? Yeah, great question. I think I've realized that in my, kind of in myself, that I always love that five or 10% getting my hands dirty. I think without it, you get too far removed and you don't become valuable to the team. Um, at the same time, you know, as I, I, as I built up a team on the upside, I definitely had to let go of a lot of pieces. So I think what I focused on is building the DNA of the team in a way that allows me to amplify them and them to amplify me. So I think we've, we've got a really neat dynamic within our team where every week we're coming together, we're, we're talking about interesting problems cross-functionally, we're debating those. And then we've also got kind of a cadence where we communicate out to the rest of the company. And I think I get to see projects much earlier than I might if I'm just purely sitting in the executive level. And then I think I, I see my role in the way I keep that five or 10% dirty is kind of a catalyst, right? Like if there is a project that needs to get done that maybe individual people, because they're, they're weighed down with too much, can't do, I may step in, catalyze a project and then kind of hand it back to somebody. And I think that's where I can maybe get my hands dirty, both on the technical side and then also structurally in, in leadership. I think if you purely to stay in meetings. That's not kind of how I'm wired. You got to get your hands dirty in the data and understand it and, and make sure it works. Um, but at the same time, I'm now managing a team of roughly you know, two teams that total you know, 30 to 40 people. And you've got to be willing to have the right people, trust them and, and do that. I think that's the other obvious lesson is <laughs> you only scale if you hire great people. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you mentioned this, like the cadence of communication to the rest of the company. What are the processes that you go through for strategic direction? 
First and foremost, I believe ops needs to be seen as a, even even if it's a separate team, it needs to be seen as part of the leadership team of each of these different groups, right? So marketing, sales, CS, like I want our teams in on those offsites, in on those meetings. And you know, if, if the stakeholders or the business partners aren't seeing it that way, like it, it forces a great conversation. Having a clear shared roadmap of what are the big priorities, the, the big rocks that are going to move the needle matters. And then we've got a weekly cadence where we update all of go to market. And we try to keep it simple and educating um, and sharing kind of what we're working on. I was really inspired by two folks at Box, um, Ivan, the head of analytics, and then Greg Meyer, who ran kind of like the sales ops side. They both had their weekly updates. I I took the best pieces of both of them and uh, tried to combine them into one. I remember when I joined at Box, my boss said, Ivan's update is a must read, right? And when you see those things that are must reads coming out of teams, you can create that as well too. You, you engage people. Can you describe Ivan's update what and what made it a must read? You know, I, Ivan basically, like the core of his was one deep analytical insight every week. And he had a team of all the analytics people. Uh, I think Greg, what he did was really just kind of engaging questions. So we've ended up, we've got three, right? Which is the, the analytics inside of the week where we try to educate and share maybe new insights or new data. And so um, that's one. I'd say the second one is, frankly, we call it the coolest thing of the week. Like what is the neatest thing that we saw last week, whether we produced it or someone else did. And then the final one is feedback a week. We want to encourage people to bring our team feedback and problems and ideas. And so we try to acknowledge that and, and explain that we have, we're seeing those and we're taking action on them. We frankly, you know, one of many metrics we use to judge our team is how many people are opening that up every week. Basically the email communication of those three items. Yeah. So I guess to make it concrete without, obviously, you know, sometimes one's competitors listen to, you know, podcasts, so without opening it up to your competitors, what is an example of each one of those starting with the an analytics insight of the week? You know, an analytics insight really is the number of touch points and the number of touch point contacts we're able to predict win rates. Um, so we start to get a lot smarter at which opportunities we should run at. Coolest thing of the week, you know, just investing in advocacy rather than one-off chasing our tails in advocacy. We've kind of built a scalable program for that. And then feedback of the week, you know, we have probably the best loss and win forms I've ever seen. It's a dynamic button in Salesforce that you click and it asks a series of dynamic questions. The teams are constantly bringing us holes in that. And so what I love more than anything is we built two buttons and the team doesn't need to be trained on a bunch of you know, validation rules and pick lists and what to do. They, if they win a deal, they click the win button. If they lose a deal, they kick the loss form and then it runs them through a series of interesting questions. And so every couple of weeks, the team's like, hey, it's not capturing what I'm trying to communicate here or I'm trying to share this insight with this team in this way or I just lost to a new competitor that I hadn't had on the radar before, right? So we will constantly tweak and change the win, the loss uh, insights that we grab. Do you find that there's still a decent amount of greenfield in the uh, employee feedback space? I do. I do. I mean, it's definitely gotten more competitive. Like Coltramp helped invent the space. We've seen a ton of small companies pop up. A ton of the big vendors will issue the 60% solution. And at the same time, like there are new companies that are large every day that are dipping their toe into the water. And we've gone from a single product company to a multi-product company. We also now offer um, performance management solutions. Part of our job is to not just figure out how to sell today, but also know where the market's going. One of the challenges, right, is when you move to multi-product, do you train up your existing sales team? Do you have a separate sales team? Do you have product overlay specialists or product specialists? There's all kinds of different terminology for that. Where did you guys land on that? 
We, I mean, obviously at the beginning when you're acquiring a company and you've got people that know the product cold, there's an overlay for a period of time. I think our products are intuitive. And so it helps our sales team learn and understand them as well. And so we're you know slowly moving from an overlay to an enablement to training and then to train the whole team. And then I think we feel very comfortable that there will be times when we may need to bring in an expert, but those times are few and far between. And then frankly, we have the other advantage, which is we use our own products in our own company, right? So <laughs> everybody knows those things. And the new products that we're building, we're, we're testing as well. The other line of discussion I wanted to have with you just has to do with a little bit of a rift that often exists between sales and marketing, which is the following. A lot of times salespeople feel like the only good lead is something where it was a contact us or a demo request, that sort of thing, right? Mm -hmm. If I go to your website, you guys have a ton of ways that you're probably capturing traffic, right? You've got uh, on your resources page, right? Webinars, podcasts, white papers. You've got a job board for HR professionals. You've got Slack groups. You've got the People Geek Answers board. You got all this stuff going. How do you prioritize the leads and how do you get the AEs to engage in anything other than a contact us request? Probably about two years ago, we basically said, listen, an MQL is not always an MQL. There are two basic flavors. Contact us, we call TC or time critical. Everyone's seen the studies of if you get back to them in three minutes, five minutes, whatever it is. And so we've built a machine on the time critical leads. Uh, those things are slacked in with context. We explain exactly why they're coming over and we get back to those within minutes. We're literally logging like when it came in and when somebody followed up with it. So we're able to lock on to every single one of those and we don't let go of those. Those convert at an amazing rate to opportunities and all the way through. You know, the other call it 60%, we're still working on a better name, but we call them NTCs for non-time critical, right? Like scored over leads are people aren't expecting a response from you. They might not be surprised that they get a response, but they're not sitting there by their phone saying, when's this person going to get back? So TCs, we work globally as fast as we can. NTCs, we work regionally. And as we want people to understand the events that are happening, understand the market context, and to be able to engage those people. And so um, we've really split those MQLs into kind of two different ways. We write them all to the SDRs. I'd say, so TCs are pretty clear, right? You write them and they it converted X rate. Um, NTCs, when I started, they were converting at like... Yeah, terrible rates, yes. 1%. They were terrible. So, And it was all based upon like, this is a big account. And so we ripped it apart. We really moved it to much more around behavioral scoring rather than uh, firmographic information. But just with those types of tweaks alone, we were able to keep the volume the same, but dramatically orders of magnitude increased the conversion rates. I'd say we've since plugged in MadKudu, which is by far and away the best lead scoring tool I've ever seen. It helps us do regressions. Uh, it, it basically, whether it's HubSpot or Marketo, you know, they may say, great, it's 50, push it over, but they don't explain to the sales team why, right? What MadCuda does is it looks at what factors are driving higher conversion rates, and then it explains to the salespeople why. A fascinating one was we did an outbound campaign to retail like a year ago. When we opened up MadCuda and ran the analytics on it, retail was our least performing from a conversion standpoint, right? So we're like, ah, there's an immediate aha. Yeah, as you were as you were talking, I was reflecting on on what we do, and just like you have the time critical and the non time critical, we un uh, creatively, I guess, call them P one and P two, which is priority one and priority two, and it's the same thing: a demo request or contact us, which converts at super high rates throughout the funnel. That's a P one, and then our P twos are 
everything, basically everything else. Well, I think we could go on and on, but such a joy. If people want to learn more about Opportunities at Culture Amp, they want to hear about opportunities there, just get in touch with you. What are the best ways to do that? Yeah, I mean, I'd say uh, for hiring, we are, we're coming out of COVID and we're, we're continuing to grow and hire. I love sharing thought leadership, so enjoy this. Check out my LinkedIn. I've got tons of um, articles there. Generally, as, as you and I know, I, I don't connect with people I haven't spoken with um, on LinkedIn, so don't send me a cold invite. But, um, you know, I love helping people. I, a lot of people have reached out and helped me in my career. So um, if you're persistent and polite, um, we'll end up connecting somehow. That's right. You did play extremely hard to get. I think I reached out to you and you're like, you're going to have to show me you care. So so I, I, I had to work at that. That's good. No, thanks for what you do. It's, I, I love our conversations. Thanks for all the value. All right. Be well, Andy. Hey, Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. Paige McCauley is our producer. Peter Lepinto is our editor. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey Salespeople podcast.